this evening to Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 30, and uh, we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 30 a passage of scripture here as a text. Isaiah 30, and we'll read verse 33 as our text. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Let's pray. Once again, Heavenly Father, we come before you as many preachers have done today, as we've done in the past, but asking you, Lord, to give the Holy Spirit blessing and to prosper the word and to speak to our hearts. Give us what we need in this revival meeting, one service at a time. We pray, Lord, you use this tool, my five stones to my sling through the week, and just meet the needs. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. I love a campfire. In fact, some of my fondest memories growing up would be getting around a campfire with a youth group, uh, with guitars, singing, making songs. We would do hot, hot dogs, marshmallows, things like that. And so when I was first in the ministry, I didn't have a full schedule like I had later. So I asked my pastor, could I work with a teenager since nobody else was working with them? And he said, well, no one else is, so go ahead. And so I did it all for free to give me a little bit of gas money. Didn't have to do that. I'd have done it for free. But when we work with them, I wanted my very first activity to be a really good one. So I always enjoyed a campfire, and I thought, well, this is a good way to get acquainted with everybody. We'll do a campfire, we'll do marshmallows, hot dogs, sing it, and make music with a guitar, and then we'll get to know each other. So that day, wanted to be ready, I went out and made a huge campfire, a pile of wood, and then when the activity started, I told everybody, you stay inside, I'm going to go light the fire. I went out and lit the fire, and I lit that puppy up. And then I called everybody out to the campfire, and was expecting just the greatest time. But there was a problem. I had made that campfire so big and so hot, nobody could get within 100 feet of it. And on top of it, it was already 90 degrees outside. So nobody really wanted to be by a campfire. Now, it was a big flop. But there are other times when I've tried to make a fire, and if it's just a little bit going, I'll get down and I'll blow on it, and I'll try to make it bigger, and you understand how that works. Well, in this passage, Tophet, I believe, is referring to hell. And as God makes hell, he seems to be making it very big, and he seems to be doing it on purpose. Let's go ahead and read it again, Isaiah 30, 33. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. You get the idea that God is adding more wood to it to make it bigger. And then he says, the breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now, not only is God adding more wood to it, but he's breathing on it and blowing on it. And you don't do that unless you're trying to make it bigger. Now, it seems like since the day of the old time evangelists, there aren't a lot of people 
that are preaching really strong, hot, hellfire, brimstone sermons. And when we do something like that, people think that we're kind of living in the past. And that today, we should only hit the love of God, maybe casually mention hell, but don't do an all-out hellfire brimstone sermon. Now then on the other side, they'll say, well, we need to have revival. We're missing something in our day. And we're not having what they used to have in the past. And while that's going on, people are saying, hey, give me a deeper lifer, and that's all good. Teach me something in the epistles, and that's good too. But then when we preach an old-fashioned uh, burn them up type message, people say, well, that's just emotional. Now then, they say, but we're lacking something. Now here's what I think. If we're going to have our hearts stirred like they used to have 100 years ago, or even in the 50s or 60s, even the 70s and 80s, we're going to have to have the subjects to dress that they preached back in the 70s and 80s. And preachers that I grew up under used to preach on hell, and they preached on it very warmly. So I'm going to preach tonight and feel that the Lord is in it. I didn't just pick it up by a whim. I feel the Lord directing us to look at this subject tonight because we need it. We're going to look at the subject of hell. Now, there are lots of ways that we could address it, and the way that I'm going to go tonight is very simply. I'm going to preach a message that I entitle, How Hot Is Hell? How Hot is Hell? How Hot Is Hell? Now, point number one, it is real hot. Now, somebody says, can't you do a little bit better than just say it's real hot? I'm using kind of a play on words when I say that. What I'm trying to say to us and remind us of is that it is real hot, not fake hot. Now, we can't see it. We've never been there. There are a lot of people that say it's not a real place. There are some preachers who say you're just trying to scare people. I heard one preacher preach on hell, and he was preaching on it. He said, some of you think that I'm trying to scare you, and you're thinking, oh, you're just trying to scare me. And the preacher said, right, I am. And we do need to have that old-fashioned fear of God. But so many people are saying, oh, it's really not there. Some of them are saying it's not really fire. Some of them are saying it's just a man's separation from God. But the Bible says that it is there and it is fire. Now, let's remind ourselves of the scripture verses. We're not making it up. Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God into hell, into the place. So according to the Bible, we're not making it up. It is real. It is there. Proverbs 15, 24. We don't want people to go there, but it's there. Proverbs 15, 24. The way of life is above the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. The Bible account there is that it is there and it is beneath us. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from a child. If thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. It is there. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. It is profitable for thee that one of the members should perish, not their whole body should be cast into hell. And listen to this one. In the Bible, 
it says in Matthew 13, 49, it's a furnace. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and cast them into a furnace of fire that shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, what is hell like? First, I want to remind us, it is a place. Luke 16, 23. And in hell, he lift up his eyes in the place hell. And then the Bible says it has fire. Luke 16, 24. Send Lazarus to him. He did tip the dip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. So we are not making it up. We're not just exaggerating. We're not just trying to come up with something to stir people's hearts. According to the Bible, it is there, it has fire, and it also has brimstone. Revelation 19, 20, depart from me. The, uh, these both were cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and then it is everlasting. Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, cursed in everlasting fire. So it is also a place where somebody will burn, and they 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 will never die. Mark 9:44, where the worm dieth not. Now, sometimes we can come across as mean. Sometimes independent Baptists can come across as just yellers. I don't think so much lately, but there was a time when we maybe had that reputation. But I will say this. We're right on this thing. We didn't make it up. We are not making it up. The Bible is teaching that it is there God is stoking up the fire. He's adding much wood, and the flames are full blaze. Now, I don't like to believe in some things. I don't like to believe in cancer, but my brother Paul got it, and he died. I don't like to believe that there's emphysema, but my uncle got it, and he died. And I don't like to believe that there are terrorists, but they're there, and they love to destroy us. And I don't like to believe that there is a hell. And that the people that we know that do not know Jesus are really going to go to a place called hell. Nice people, really mean people. Whether we are related to them, whether they are nice or whether they are not, if they do not know Jesus, according to the word of God, they are going to this place. Now, whether we want to accept it or whether we don't want to, whether it's on our mind, whether it's not on our mind, whether we're aggressively trying to make a difference or not even trying to make a difference, it doesn't change the reality and what is at stake. Now, the first thing, as we're reminding ourselves, it's not an alliterated outline, but just some thoughts to stir us, Lord willing, I pray. All right, now, the second thing, number one, it is real hot, not fake hot. Number two, as a reminder, it is too hot for you. All right, let's go ahead and look at that Matthew chapter 5 passage, Matthew 5, 29 and 30. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. It says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Verse 30. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that whole body should be cast into hell. Now, once in a while, I'll meet somebody who says they are going to hell and that they want to go to hell. And usually when I run across somebody like that, I'll say, why would you say such a statement? And they'll say, well, I want to party with my buddies. Heaven would be too boring. 
And I usually say, there's no parting in hell, there's just pain. And so people think, well, I want to go to hell, and I can handle it. There's going to be a party in hell, but there's not. Marilyn Manson, when he was in a rock and roll concert, he got up behind a pulpit that he put on the stage. And when he got up there, who was also a satanic priest, a literally ordained satanic priest, he had a sport coat on, no tie, but a Bible in his hand. And he opened up the Bible in the rock and roll concert and began to read from the Beatitudes. And what he did, people were thinking, what happened to Marilyn Manson? Did he get religion? Did he become a Christian? And in short time, Marilyn Manson said, wait a minute. Why should we believe in a God who doesn't believe in us? And then he went on, took his gnarly fingernails and dug them into the Bible and ripped the pages out and began to throw them in the crowd, working the crowd, saying, why should we believe in a God who doesn't believe in us? And tearing up his Bible says, you don't want to follow Jesus, you want to follow Satan. And the more that you worship the devil and serve him, the more you'll reign with the devil in hell. But Marilyn Manson is wrong. There's no reigning in hell. Not even the devil's going to be on the throne. He's going to be burning just along with everybody else. John Milton in Paradise Lost did the same thing. He had the idea of Satan be portraying to be saying, better to reign with the devil in hell than to have to serve God in heaven. But there's no reigning in hell. There's just suffering in hell. Now, does God want a person to pluck their eye out? Of course not. Now, some people will say, and I don't think anybody here thinks this way, but some people will say, if Jesus was here, I would never preach on hell. But I'm talking to a group of people that are educated. You've heard the Bible a long time, for the most part, and you are aware that Jesus did preach on hell. Am I right? Now, right here he preached on it. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Now, that sounds extreme. But Jesus was not being extreme. He was trying to make a powerful point. And it's very powerful. Now, I understand he was not preaching like some preachers preach. If thou right out in thee, ha, pluck it out of your foot of and you cut it off. And I don't expect that he was being unkind. But I do believe that he was being very intense saying, listen, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. I've seen this place, and it's that bad. That whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. Now, evidently, there are some things that people do with their eyes that are bad enough that they'd end up in hell unless they get forgiveness for it. Now, as we believers struggle with sin, sometimes we get a little soft on sin, and I want to remind us of something. There is something you can do with your eyes that is a bad enough sin that you'd go to hell for it if it wasn't for the blood of Christ. And we get very soft on the things that we allow in our lives. And I will say this. If you, as a man or a woman, are looking at things that you should not be looking at, what you are doing is a bad enough sin that it is worthy of death by lake of fire. And if you have a light view of your sin, you will not ever stop your sin. And no, you will not go to hell, but it is a bad enough sin that 
it would be worthy of a lake of fire. So stop. Understand what it is. Get it right and get clean and get victory. You can. Now, if thy right eye offend thee, Jesus is saying, I've seen this place. It's so bad that plucking your eye out would be painless compared to burning in hell. And he meant it. I didn't want anyone to pluck their eye out, but think of it. If somebody were to take a metal rod, stick it behind your eyeball, and not trying to be needlessly grotesque, but purposely grotesque, pluck an eyeball out of your eye socket, or anybody's, if you saw it happen to anybody, that would rattle you. And Jesus is saying this would be painless compared to going to hell. If somebody's a thief, they'd be better to take a chainsaw and chop their hand off and throw it away so they could not steal rather than die and go to hell because they won't see the seriousness of their sin. Now, whatever it would be that would put a person in hell, Jesus, in essence, is saying, get rid of it. If it's your eye, if it's your hand, if it's your pride, swallow it. If it's your family wouldn't understand because they're a different religion, Love your family, but don't go to hell over it. If it's your friends wouldn't like it, love your friends. You don't have to leave them. They might leave you, but don't go to hell over it because this place is that bad. Now, there are so many foolish things. People think, well, I would never want to give this up. It's not worth it. Now, I know that I'm preaching to a group of people here that claim to be saved and maybe everybody here is saved now by the way there are two kinds of churchgoers churchgoers are on their way to heaven two churchgoers that are still on their way to hell and there are people that make a profession that don't have the possession like we talked about this morning make sure you know which one you really are if you love god and you love your bible and you love jesus and you sin it doesn't mean you're not saved but like i said this morning if you do not have the nature of a christian you do not have salvation. Now, what God is saying here is whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. Well, here I was at a Christian camp in my high school days, as a matter of fact, and I went to camp, and there were young people from the Christian school that I went to, and one of them was Joe Curry. And Joe came to camp with a heavy metal rock star on his shirt. Now, here he was, a student at a Christian school, and we all know that everybody who goes to Christian school is not really a Christian, but he was claiming to be a Christian. But he comes in with a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. And so I said, oh, Joe, you're really cool coming to Christian camp in a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. He said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. And I was still a teenager, so we kind of butt heads a little bit. But... I found out that he and some of his friends who were in that group made a pact with each other that they were not going to get saved. So they admitted to each other, evidently, they were not saved. They hadn't gotten really born again. And they made this deal, nobody let the preaching get to you, nobody give in, and they actually said if anybody gets saved, they've got to buy everybody else's steak dinner. So five of them made that promise with each other. True story. Well, the preaching was used by God, and one got saved one day, another, another, and another, another, until Thursday night, there had already been four of the five who had gotten saved. 
So we're all standing around a campfire, and I never will forget it. As we're right around that campfire, everybody's praising God. And then somebody looked at Joe Curry and said, Joe, everybody else in your group got saved. Are you going to get saved? And I was standing there. And Joe said, not me, man. I got four steak dinners coming to me. And so everybody said, come on, Joe. That's stupid. You don't want to go to hell over steak. He said, no way, man. I'm not giving up my steak. And he had that arrogance about him. And so Brian Malik, who is another friend of ours, walked behind him and said, so, Joe, are you sure you don't want to get saved? So the fire's here. Joker is here. Brian Malik's behind him. And Brian's a rather large man at the time. And he looks at me and says, so, Joe, are you sure you don't want to get saved? He said, no way, man. I'm not giving up my steak. Brian said, okay. And Brian just simply started walking toward the fire. Joe Curry happened to be in front of him. So as he's walking toward the fire, his body weight is enough a mass that he's just moving Joe like he's a feather. And Joe Curry's going like this. And Brian's walking behind him. And Joe's going, stop it, Brian. And Joe's walking forward. Uh, Brian, and Joe's going, stop it, Brian. And then as he got closer to the fire, Joe Curry was able to spin around and get away and he said, what are you doing, man? And Brian Malik looked at him and said, Joe, I just want you to learn what it's going to be like when you burn in hell. Joe Curry walked around the corner, got on his knees, and he asked the Lord to save him. Because he realized hell was too hot for him. I talked to Joe Curry three weeks ago, maybe four, and Joe is still living for the Lord. He's not completely where we are on doctrine, but he's following the Lord. Why? Because hell was too hot for him. Now, when we consider what God is saying, if there's one person in this room who's in that category, going to church, on your way to heaven, good. But going to church, on your way to hell, if there's one person in that category, it's one too many. So how hot is hell? It's too hot for you. Now, number three, take your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew uh, chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And this one sounds a little bit strange, but stay with me because it is true. How hot is hell? And it's in the Bible and it's in there for a reason. How hot is hell? It's hot enough to scare a demon. Hot enough to scare a demon. Now, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 28 through 34, and this is where the demons come to Christ. He sees them, and they say, Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And they go into the pigs. Now, let's go ahead and read the account that we know of. Verse 28, And when he was come to the other side of the country, the Gergesenes met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fear, so that no man might pass by that way. Behold, they cried out, saying, What are we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? What time? The time? What are they referring to? The time when demons are ultimately going to be cast into hell, into the lake of fire. Now, how many believe that there are such things as demons? Okay. 
How many do believe that they're ultimately going to be cast in the lake of fire like the Bible says? Okay. So they see Jesus and they think, oh no, he's going to do it now instead of in the future. And they freak out. And they say, we'll do anything. We'll live in pigs if we have to. Now, usually pigs like to live in people. But they say, we'll live in animals. Just don't send us to the lake of fire before the time. I notice verse 30. There was a good way off of them a herd many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go into the herd of swine. He said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. A true story. And behold, the herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, perished in the water. Now, when I think of a demon, I know that they exist. I've never seen a demon with my eyes that I know of, but I know that they exist. And when I think of what they must look like, I think of a skeleton face, dark image, maybe gnarly teeth, wicked hair, eyes of fire, and I think of long hair, matted hair, and I think of a powerful creature. I read in the book of Acts that a man named Sceva had seven sons, and those seven sons went to cast out a demon out of somebody, and the demon beat them up. And all seven of those sons of Sceva went running for their lives naked and bleeding. Now, one demon took down seven men, and they're powerful beings. Now, when I think of this, and the demons are so afraid, they say, we'll do anything. We'll live in pigs if we have to. I think it must take a lot to scare a demon being that powerful. And they're scared. Why? Because of hell. Now, you and I only see in the human dimension. You ever seen a demon? Maybe you have. I haven't. But do you think demons know that there are demons? They're not the only ones. And my guess is they have seen angels. My guess is they've seen God. I do believe they've seen hell. And so they see this and they know what they know and so they say, please, don't, no, don't, please. We'll live in pigs, but don't, please, not now. And they'll do anything just to put it off a little bit longer, even though they know they're going there. It must be bad. Now, sometimes we read these stories and we think, wow, that happened. But we don't relate it to today. Demons still exist today. I've not seen a demon but I have run across some demon possession. I don't look for it around every corner. I've been to Haiti eight times. Of course, I've run into it. But in the United States, I have seen it. I remember in William, uh, we, uh, in North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, I haven't seen a lot. I haven't seen a lot in Haiti, but I have seen it a lot in Haiti. I just haven't talked to the demons so much there, but they're there. Every woman walking around in a certain color garment matches the flag of the voodoo temple. You know what that means? They have sold their soul to the devil. And they have a demon in them. 
I talked to a voodoo priest, and the voodoo priest had a little stick that was up about this high, and he put fire around it. I said, what's that? I already knew what it was. He said, that's Lucifer. I said, okay, and why do you put fire on Lucifer and heat up the metal stick? He said, well, we pray to Lucifer. Well, why? He said, he will give you money, he'll give you power, and then he made this statement, he'll cast out a demon. I said, well, that's kind of foolish because the devil put the demon in the person in the first place. But there are such things as demons today. So I was in Wilmington, North Carolina, and a girl came up to me and she said, Brother Pelletier, 12th grader in a Christian school, I keep hearing voices. And whenever I talk to people about it, they think I'm just trying to get attention. Well, I think everybody ought to be given an ear. So I took her seriously and I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, she hears these voices. And somehow in my mind, I got to thinking about Ouija boards. And I said, have you ever played with a Ouija board? I heard it was the first step into the occult. She said, yes. Friend of mine in our Christian school have been playing with a Ouija board. You can go to Walmart and you can buy one and it's the first step into the occult. It is not a toy. It really is something to do with demons. So anyway, she was playing with a Ouija board. I said, well, have you ever had something strange happen when you played with one? She said, oh yeah. I said, what? Explain. She said, one day we were playing with a Ouija board and it asked us a question. Usually you ask it a question, it spells back an answer. This time it took over, it asked us the question. I said, what was it? It said, how would you like to have a special friend? True story. I said to that board, yes, I would, she said. It said then, go stand by the window, open the window, and just wait. So the two of the girls in that Christian school went, opened the window, and just stood there for a second. It was not a breezy day. They said the wind wasn't blowing at all. And she said all of a sudden it blew such strong wind that it blew their hair straight back for several seconds. Then all of a sudden the breeze quit and their hair dropped back down. And she was so shocked. She looked at her friend and she was shocked. And her friend began to talk, but she said she had a different voice. So then I thought, well, maybe there is something to this. So I said to her what I'd always heard, that demons don't like to hear about the blood of Jesus. I said, what do you think about the blood of Christ? And please believe me, I'm not exaggerating. This 12th grade girl, who's a very thin girl, came up when I talked about the blood of Christ, and she shoved me with two hands. <clears throat> and she shoved me so hard that she lifted me up off my feet, and I landed flat on my back. I have never had a girl in high school strong enough to push me through the air like that. Well, she started walking toward me like she wanted to hurt me, and I was afraid. I'm not a hero. And I felt the hair raised on the back of my neck, and I look up at her, afraid I'm getting hurt. And then I remember, you overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And so I looked at her, and I said, you can't do a thing to me. I plead the blood of Christ over you. And when I said that, this strengthened my faith. She sat down in a chair like a whipped puppy. I got up and I was wondering, did I just go through some emotional thing or is this really happening? And so I thought, well, I'm gonna test it again. So I quoted another verse, but this time on the blood of Christ. And instead of just asking what she thought, I quoted a verse on the blood of Christ and she just shook in her seat. I knew she had a demon. Now I didn't know what to do, but I didn't know this. I had to trust the Lord to lead me through. 
So I prayed. I said, Lord, help me. Guide me. And I realized I'm a human. I'm not God. That thing's more powerful than me. So I said to the demon, now you know that you're more powerful than me, but you're not more powerful than God. And I said, and you know that I'm a human being and that I'm not absolutely sinless except for the righteousness of Jesus, I'm sinless. So I do not come to you in my righteousness or my strength. I come to you in Christ's righteousness and in Christ's strength. So I said, in the name of Christ, what is your name? And when I did that, the eyes rolled up. I saw nothing but the white of her eyes. Please believe me. They came back down and there was another voice. Then I said, what is your name? And I got a name. Then another voice popped up, another name, and another voice popped up, and another name. And I realized she had more than one in her. And then the sweet grandmother type voice popped up, and I found myself actually liking who I was talking to from another dimension. And then I got to thinking, wait a minute. This is a demon. They like to transform themselves to an angel of light. And almost then, I start thinking, this thing's got to go. But I didn't want to let it go because I liked it. I liked talking to it. It seemed really sweet to me. Isn't that crazy? But they disguised themselves. And so I almost apologetically, knowing it was a demon, had to go. I said, almost apologetically, you're going to have to go now. And when I did that, it changed into what you might expect to sound. That gnarly voice. <laughs> and then raised the hair on my neck again. And I, again, felt the fear again. And it began to talk to me. And I said, you're going to have to go in the name of Christ. You're going to have to leave right now. And then the eyes came up, the eyes came down, there was Joyce's voice. And Joyce said, stop it. I said, what, Joyce? Stop it. You're hurting my friends. They're burning. I said, what, Joyce? She said, stop it. They're burning. You're hurting my friends. And I said, Joyce, they're not your friends. But she kept saying, they're burning. I know it sounds too sensational, but it happened. They're burning. They're burning. Stop it. They're burning. And she said that. What do you think that did to my faith in the existence of hell? Now, I believed it from the Bible already, but I believed it. It just solidified it. Solidified it. And do you know... I said to Joyce, you don't want them, you want Jesus. She said, yes, I want Jesus. I said, then let me talk to the demons. So the eyes rolled up, the eyes came down, there were the demons. I said, you're going to have to leave. They told me, we're not leaving. I said, what right do you have to stay? Joyce told you she wanted Jesus, then she told us we could stay. She just wanted to tell you what she wanted to hear. I didn't know this, but evidently you can cast a demon out without the person's permission. I didn't know that. I've never done it, but others have. And they've told me, you can do it without getting permission. So I said, well, let me talk to Joyce one more time. And if she wants you to leave, you're going to have to leave. They would not let me talk to Joyce. And you know why? They were afraid I'd talk her into wanting Jesus, not them. So not a bit of exaggeration here. If anything, it is erring on the safe side. I spent a minimum of at least one hour from that moment on trying to get to talk to Joyce, but they would not let me. I tried everything. I tried in the name of Christ, and I'm not belittling the name of Christ. I tried in the blood of Christ, 
and I'm definitely not belittling the blood of Christ. But they would not let me talk to her, and then I finally won the battle. Do you know how I won? I remembered this passage where the demon said, Are you come here to torment us before the time? And I said to those demons, if you don't let me talk to Joyce at this moment, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to ask Jesus to cast you into the lake of fire before the time. And as soon as I said that, the eyes rolled up, the eyes came down, and there was Joyce. And you know what I learned? Demons do exist. And even today, I learned demons are still afraid of going to hell. I had a man in Wisconsin, a pastor, Rick Sellis, and I got a woman that I know in the mental institution I suspect is demon-possessed, and I said to him, here's what I did. He did it. And when he said that, she dropped to the ground, and she said, they're gone. And it is because demons are afraid of going to hell. Now, People that we know might be tough, but if a demon can't handle going to hell, neither can our friends. And so we need to understand it is real, not fake. It's too hot for us. If there's anybody here not really sure, it's hot enough to scare a demon. Now, there's several other things we could say. I would say this, it's too hot to pretend that you're saved. Not everyone who saith of me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. There are some people that pretend they're saved, and one of the reasons is because they just don't understand it. They don't want to look stupid. I remember being, as a fourth grader, we had a Christian school, and my class was going for a hike in the woods at the Kankakee State Park. And it was only like five minutes from where I lived. So Miss Miller, who was our fourth grade teacher and taking us on the trip, said, Mike, since you live here, you probably know your way around. I said, oh, yeah. I did not know anything. I didn't know what a tree was. And she said, well, since you know your way around here, why don't you take us around and show us some good places? I said, okay, follow me. So I start walking like this, and I'm pretending like I know exactly where I'm going. And people are following me, and I said, it's over here. And we go over there, and they're following me. I had no idea where I was. And I came to a dead end where I couldn't move forward at all. And Mrs. Miller looked at me and said, you don't know where we're at, do you? I said, no, I don't. And I was pretending that I knew where I was. And I think there are a lot of people that are pretending that they understand how to get to heaven. They'll say, yes, you've got to have Jesus. And you've got to read the Bible. And you've got to obey God. And you've got to have Jesus. And you got to get baptized, and, and, you, and, and I think I got it. I think you got to tell people about Jesus, too. And they don't quite understand. They're pretending that they understand. They understand. They think, no, they're going to heaven. They know where they're going, but they don't. Now, if there's somebody in here like that, hell's too hot for you. And there's some people that don't want anything to do with God because they have sinned. I don't think there's anybody like that. But whatever the case is, hell is real, not fake, too hot for you, hot enough to scare a demon, too hot to pretend you're saved. How about this one? It's too hot for Christian carnality. 
Let's look real quickly at this one, Second Chronicles 7. Now, how many believe every verse in the Bible is true? How about Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14? Very familiar verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, here's a question quickly. Is America healed yet spiritually, yes or no? Is the neighborhood reached yet? Is the city block reached yet? So, why? Evidently, God's people haven't humbled themselves and prayed and sought God in this thing enough. Now, there are two ways that we can be carnal I can be carnal, you can be carnal, and I have been both in my day. And I probably will be both in my future. There are two ways that we can be carnal. Number one, we can be carnal with the way that we're living. My lifestyle. Met a street fighter by the name of Dane. He'd been in 73 fights, said he'd only lost three because he was fought dirty against. We said, Dane, would you like to get saved? He said, get saved. That's a joke. Get saved. I've dated too many Christians to want to get saved. And they were no different. So he said, it's a big joke. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in this room that you have somehow talked yourself into or gotten talked into by somebody who's got a doctorate behind their degree that says it's okay to drink a little beer, just don't get drunk. It's okay to have a little glass of wine. I'm going to tell you again. God said, look not on the wine when it is red, when it's stirred in the cup. God said, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived by it is not wise. Now get it, it says the substance itself is a mocker. And God's not just condemning getting drunk. He's condemning the substance itself. And somehow we're changing in this thing. And I'm going to tell you this. Even if nothing else, imagine picking up a can of beer and say, Dear God, I dedicate this drink of Budweiser to you. You would say, Blasphemy. You're right. But also consider this. Hey, man, come over to my house. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Here, <laughs> open up a Budweiser and slap it down. Open up one and drink it up. Is that going to help you or probably kind of go, huh? And so for no other reason, we want to get the cigarette out. We want to get the can of beer back out. We want to get out the sin again because it used to make a difference if we had a good testimony. And I'm here to tell you, with all the love of my heart, it still does. And so, let no man despise, be an example of a believer. Word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and impurity. Now, one way we can be carnal, and hell is too hot for us to be carnal, is we can have a bad lifestyle, but another way, what we live for. Living for temporary things instead of eternal things. Now, people used to say this. That person is so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Anybody ever hear that statement? He is so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. 
And I heard that, and I go, yeah, that's right. He's no head in my mind. He's no earthly good. And you know what? I got to thinking about that. Our problem is not that we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. The problem is we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the things that we're living for on earth are choking out the eternal things. Now, hell is too hot for us to live our lives week after week without a witness. I'm not scolding us, but I'm challenging us. How many do believe that hell is real, not fake? Too hot for you. Hot enough to scare a demon. How about this one? Too hot for your friends. Now, only one life, as the song says, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so we go week after week after week after week after week after month after month after year after year after decade after decade thinking, one of these days I'm going to go after those unsaved people. And you know what we're doing? We're being carnal. We're spending all of our time on the temporary. Now, in closing, how hot is hell? It is not hot enough to reach heaven. The only way to escape the flames of hell is salvation and to be in heaven. In Luke 16, the rich man was in hell, and he said, Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue and torment it in the flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime received good things, Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf that they that would come from hell to heaven cannot, those who would go from here to thence cannot. And since Jesus led captivity captive, the gulf has gotten even bigger. Now, in a positive side, no matter how flame, high the flames get, no matter how hot the flames get, they will never be high enough or hot enough to reach heaven. So the only way to make sure people don't go to hell is to make sure they do go to heaven by telling them about the Lord Jesus. Just imagine going home after the service and finding the smallest birthday candle that you could find. Light that birthday candle up. Take one little finger and stick it in that birthday candle for five minutes. Now, we couldn't do that. Well, how are they going to do eternity and a whole body? Let's bow our heads. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening, how many of you would say, Brother Mike, 